0: We won't spend a long time there. we really just kind of use that as a launching point, and really that's what we're going to do just about every uh, just about every Sunday for the next uh, the next several. Anyways, uh, we'll start there. But then we're what we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of merge two sermon series that we have been uh, that that we have been in since uh, really since since June. Uh, Now, I know a lot of you weren't here in June, a lot of you were watching online, Uh, a lot of you were somewhere else altogether, you you weren't here for that that sermon series, but what we're going to do is we're going to take these two sermon series that are uh, seemingly very different emphasis, and we're going to merge them together, and we're going to show how they really kind of play off of uh, of one another. Uh, These two sermon series seem to have little to do with each other but I think what you'll see is that they have more in common than you think. And I'm going to do a little bit of a recap this morning, a little bit more than I would typically do, just because I know so many of you weren't a part of that, that summer sermon series, uh, or even the last few weeks. So I'm going to give just a brief overview of what those two sermon series were, and then I'm going to show you how we're going to merge them together. So this, sermon, or this summer we did a series, uh, on the attributes of God. It was called Things Too Wonderful, uh, which is what this new series is gonna be called too. This is kinda Things Too Wonderful part, part two. Uh, but it was about the attributes of God. And we talked about how there's two different ways for us to look at God's attributes. One, uh, is that there are communicable attributes. Big word, but it just means attributes that he shares with us and that he calls us to. And there's incommunicable attributes. And that's the things that he does not share with us. That's the things that make God, God. He doesn't just share, not share them with us. He doesn't share them with anyone. They are God's attributes and characteristics alone. And no one else has those. And so we talked about his omnipotence, his his. his his all-encompassing, unchecked power. We talked about his omnipresence, that he is everywhere at the same time, his timelessness, his simplicity. We'll, we'll get back to that in just a minute remind you what that means. These different attributes of God that are his and his alone. And the goal was to take the time in the midst of, of chaos this summer of, of COVID and, and all the, the kind of upheaval of our lives as as that kind of sat in this summer was to take the time to to step back and quit looking at the things around us but lift our gaze up and look at the things above us look at God himself and that in doing so it would draw us out of the the mire of our everyday kind of existence in 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 the the COVID chaos and and cause us to to look to God and who he is was that was this summer and then we called it things too wonderful we took our cue from the words of job when god uh, makes himself known to job and what he said is in, in job 42 he said i know that you can do all things this is job talking to god i know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted who is this that hides counsel without knowledge therefore i have uttered what i did not understand Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. That is what we looked at this summer. Things too wonderful for us. Things too big and too grand, yet God reveals them to us in His Word. And so we tried our best to acknowledge how God was these things and how we were not any of these things. We were not all-powerful. We were not present everywhere. We are not timeless. We are finite Creatures, we are, we are not any of those things that God is. We are, we are not like Him. And each week we ask the question, who is like our God? And the resounding, deafening cry was that there is no one like our God. Now my plan at the time was just to move on from that series this summer and, and, and really kind of come back to those communicable attributes the ones he shares with us that, he, that he, he calls us to and come back to that maybe next summer. Uh, that was my plan whenever I began uh, earlier this summer and, and maybe revisit those uh, at, at, at some point then. But that, that brought us to the, the last four weeks. And what we've looked at the last four weeks has been Uh, something kind of a a reassessment of how we began the year here at Providence. And how we began the year at Providence is to say that we were all in for 2020. That we were ready. Bring on 2020 because we're all in with God. And then 2020 came and it was like, oh my goodness, we're, we're hanging on for dear life here. But what we said was that perhaps in 2020, by putting all of our hope, all of our effort, all of our chips on God and His mission, that perhaps we might find a joy that we had never known before. That was January and February, and then the world stopped. So the last few weeks, what we've asked is this simple question. Now what? Now what do we do in light of the situation we currently find ourselves in, in light of how everything had changed from January and February? And the answer has been to follow Paul's call to the Galatians and double down on that bet to be all in. That the chaos of the world does not cause us to shrink back, but rather to press further in to God and to His mission. That these days that we are in are critical to us. They will mark us and they will mark our futures. They will kind of help us chart a path as we go throughout the rest of our lives. We will look back on these very days and say, this is where things went one direction or another for me. So what we talked about the last couple of weeks is how Paul calls us to keep in step with the Spirit. And we talked about how that, that phrase, keep in step with the Spirit, is a military phrase. How we, we follow closely behind the Spirit. Where He marches, we march. Where He leads, we follow. Where He says, go this way, we go that way. And we follow Him as our chief commander and we go where He tells us to go. So that's been, that, that gets you caught up on the last two series that, that we've had. And then we said that what we're going to start doing for the rest of the the, the fall is we're going to take a look at this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, and that it's a lot more than just a a big bushel of fruit that you might buy for a loved one for Christmas, but instead it is something uh, that is powerful for how we live our lives, and it's exactly what God has called us to. If you'll remember, that is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Paul says, against these things there is no law. So what we're going to do is we're going to take one of those every week. This week we're going to talk about peace. This idea of what it means to have peace. And there's a a few different kind of ways to look at this and and bring this in. So that's what we're going to end up doing today. And what I began to notice, you know, my, my plan was to move on from both of these series into something totally different this fall. I didn't know what it was going to be. I was praying that God would lead me. And what I began to see as I studied Galatians 5 is that this idea of God's communicable attributes and this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, this thing that that God Himself produces within us as we follow Him, that these two things line up a lot. That the fruit of the Spirit that we are called to, to express and to show to others very closely... the attributes of God that He calls us to. So what I want to do is I want to take each one of these and I want to say, "All right, here's what this looks like in God and here's what this looks like now in us. We want to ask these questions like, what is God like? What are His attributes? And then we will ask, is it okay for us to try and be like God? Because we spent all summer talking about how we should not be like God in the ways that we talked about this summer. But now we're going to make the switch and say, but in these ways, He does call us to be like Him. And then we will seek to kind of pull those two things together and ask what is the seemingly impossible question. How can we, me and you, how can we be like God? the one which is beyond all comprehension, the one that is utterly and totally different than us. How can we be like him? So this morning, as I said, we'll talk about the peace of God. And I wonder what you think of when you hear that word peace. What comes to your mind immediately? Like if we were to play the word association game and I were to say, give me three words that you think of first whenever you hear peace, I wonder what you might say. Maybe you think of like mountains and rivers and sunsets and uh, flowers and, and, and lakes and that kind of stuff. Maybe that's what comes to your mind, kind of the serenity of nature and being out away from the chaos of a, of a city or of people and instead being uh, alone and in solitude. Maybe that's what comes to your mind whenever you hear the word peace. Some of you might say, bed or sleep or just getting a little bit of rest or this sunday afternoon nap that you are waiting to take until after this sermon is over this afternoon maybe that's what you would be thinking about is it's just this idea of just a little bit of sleep and rest it may just be for some of you when you hear the word peace you just think of a baby that is not crying that may be your only definition of peace this morning but some of you might go the other way and when you hear the word peace, what it reminds you of is not necessarily peaceful things, but the, the opposite, kind of the, the antithesis of those things. And that would be the, not peace, but you would think of war and protest and chaos and fires and all of the other things, basically the newsreel every single night. Maybe that's what you think of as the exact opposite of peace. See, here's the thing about peace. It's one of those things that, is, that can be very hard to define, kind of hard to describe. It can give you all kinds of adjectives to kind of lay it out there, and, and you wouldn't exactly be able to describe and explain what peace is. You often know what peace is, not so much by its presence, but by its absence. At the heart of peace is the absence of conflict. The biblical idea of peace is far more wide-ranging and far more encompassing. Yes, the absence of conflict is a part of that, but biblical peace is about moving something, uh, is about It's about moving from, from something external more to something that is now internal and a part of who we are. So the idea of peace, when you read about that in Scripture, is less about external realities and more about something that is true of us internally now i'm not going to go kind of all postmodern new age and just say you need to have the peace within if you have the peace within you will be at zen with the universe and all this other stuff that stuff is nonsense but listen to what paul writes in philippians chapter 4 he says do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see how Paul talks about the peace of God there? Not that you just somehow kind of obtain this idea of of peace, but that the peace is of God. And that peace will then move from being this kind of abstract reality to something that plays an active role in your life. It will guard your hearts and your minds. It's not just the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of something greater within us. Notice too, when we talk about peace as it relates to God, we're we're used to talking less about the peace of God and more used to talking about peace with God. Those are not necessarily the same thing. But you don't get one without the other. Peace with God is a massive part of the story of Scripture. And if we are to ever know the peace of God, we must first obtain peace with God. The clear teaching of Scripture is that we are born sinners, enemies to God Himself. That's how we are described in uh, in the New Testament, as enemy combatants with God. That language of war is used as our relationship with God. We are enemies to Him. But what, what, what Paul tells us is that even while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus intervened even when we were at war with him. Listen to how Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1. He says, For in him all the fullness of God, this is Jesus, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, by the blood of the cross. Now that's two ideas that you don't think of that go together. Making peace through violence. But that's not violence which he carried out on the world, which is what many of his followers were expecting, but instead that is through violence that was done to him. He made peace by the blood of of his cross that peace achieved by the blood of the cross is the God-bought right of every Christian. Do not miss that this morning. If you are a Christian, if you have sought forgiveness of the, from your sins in the blood of Christ, if you have accepted His death on your behalf, then you and God are at peace. Now you may be at war within yourself. That is the context of Galatians 5 that we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. The context of Galatians 5 says that that we are at war within ourselves, right? But we are not at war with God any longer if we are under the blood of Christ. The war is over. We will all struggle with sin. There is a conflict within us. But there is no conflict between you and God any longer longer satan will do all that he that all that he can to convince you otherwise though he will throw your sin in your face he will push your sin against you he will use your sin against you and telling you all kinds of lies and he will tell you you are still at war with god but the the promise of the grace of jesus is that we are not at war any longer that we are together apart from your willingness to accept jesus's sacrifice on your behalf however you and god are at war you are not a neutral combatant on this one you do not get to go through life saying, I'll let the Christians figure that one out. I'll let the religious people figure that one out. You do not get to go through life and say, well, I don't really want to be this, this guy that, that's, that's a, a you know, this crazy fanatical Christian, but I also don't want to be like a terrible bad person, so I'll just kind of, I'll just kind of snake my way through the middle, hope people call me a good guy, and maybe, maybe God and I will, will, will kind of sync up in the end. That is not how that works. There is no neutral parties in this. If you are not covered by the blood of Christ, forgiven and repentant of your sin, you are at war with God and you will lose that fight. That is a heavy thing to say, but I would be wrong if I did not say it. You cannot know the peace of God until you are at peace with God. And the only means to that peace is through the blood of the cross. But if you have surrendered your your control to God, then even when you fall short, you are at war no longer. Go to war with your sin. Absolutely go to war with your sin. Fight your flesh. Fight it and kill it with all that you have. But do not rob yourself of the joy of knowing the peace that you have with God through the blood of Jesus. And that's peace with God. But the peace of God is something even more if you'll remember this this summer, we talked about the simplicity of God, kind of a, a misleading a misleading title uh, for the way that we use that word simplicity. It did not mean that God is simple and easy to understand. What it means is that God is not made up in parts. Do you remember how we talked about that, that he is not made up of different parts, that he is like, you know, 60% love, 30%, uh, you know, grace, 5%. I'm going to run out of numbers here real quick because I started too high with the 60. But he, he's, not, he's not just like a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and that, you know, he kind of lays one aside in order to be the other. He is 100% of who he is at all times. He is all of his attributes at all times and he never lays one aside in order to exercise the other the way that we said that is that god is not at war with himself unlike us he is perfectly at peace perfectly at peace elsewhere paul tells us that god is a god of order It's it's part of how Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about the way a church service should be structured and should be set up. It should be set up and be orderly because God is a God of order. It is part of who He is. It's part of His makeup. He is simple, not with parts, not at war with Himself, and He is ordered in who He is. That reflects the idea that God, in His all-powerful, all-knowing capacity, is completely at rest within Himself. He has no internal conflicts. You and I do not know that feeling. We are always at war with ourselves. Yet still God promises that some measure of His peace can mark us as believers, as Christians. And it can be ours to experience not just one day, but now, here on earth, listen to just a handful of these verses that kind of describe the way that that, that peace now works itself into us and who we are. Just a, just a few weeks, I think I heard some, I, I'm going to get this wrong, I think I heard somebody say just, I think we've got 12 Fridays until Christmas. I think it's something like that. Does that make your head hurt? It makes my head hurt. I think, that, I think that's right. Um, it's not It's not far. But very soon we will be saying, these verses right here, we'll, we'll, we'll hear uh, Charlie Brown and, and, and Linus saying this, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the high, highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus, the prince of peace, came to bring his peace. John chapter 14 Jesus is talking about how the Holy Spirit will come whenever he leaves. He's he's not far from his execution as he says this. He says, "But the helper, the Holy Spirit from the Father will send the Holy, from but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you." Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Again, Philippians chapter Four, six, and seven says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that God calls us to as believers is not one where we simply get along with one another. It is not simply the absence of conflict in your relationships. It is a peace that calls us to be ruled by this peace. It is a peace that calls us to be guided by this peace, to be guarded by this peace, and to be rejoicing in this peace. That is what God has given us and called us to as believers in each of these instances the peace that we are called to never 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 every one of those that i just read to you every one of those it never means the absence of external conflict in each situation the understanding is that we are living in the midst of turmoil on some level i do not have to tell you that do you know what's funny is I, I've gone back and I have read a couple of things. I've listened to some very old sermons and, and, and read some old sermons from, from the 1800s, the 1900s, from different time periods. I've gone back and I've read some of this stuff. And every one of the, the preachers that is preaching uh, this passage, what they say is, in a time like ours, whenever chaos abounds, to which I'm like, you don't live in 2020. Let me tell you about chaos abounding. But here's the thing. The chaos and the the, the turmoil that is going on around us and outside of us, that is evergreen. It never goes away. 2020 will come and it will go, and 2030 will come, and 2035, whatever. If the Lord tarries, those will come. And you know what preachers will be saying then? They'll be saying, the chaos around us now is worse than it's ever been. I don't know if it's worse than it's ever been, But I know that there's not a preacher in the world, nor is there a person in the world who has ever thought, as they look out around them, you know what, all is well. We're good. No chaos around us. The chaos is always there. It will always be there. It is not going to go away. And so if your prayer for peace is primarily about, God, make all the chaos go away, then you're going to wonder, why, God, do you not answer this prayer? Now don't get me wrong, it is good to pray for peace in those situations. And God will work in individual situations and in certain places. We should pray for that. The Psalms pray for the peace of Jerusalem repeatedly. But the primary idea of the peace of God is not about external realities. It is about an internal reality in the midst of external chaos and turmoil. Looking back at John chapter 14, the Prince of Peace, Jesus, what He is saying in that moment, He is hours away from His crucifixion. When He says, my peace I give you, my peace I leave you, He is not saying, I've settled it all around here, all is well. In fact, His disciples, whenever He dies, will be massively confused because they thought He had come to bring war, and that they thought He had come to bring revolution, and the peace that they thought the Messiah would leave with is a peace that, that, that would have been Rome overthrown and, and, and the Jews on their own and being totally independent. That would have been a peace they were looking for. But that is not the peace that Jesus leaves them. What he says is, I'm about to leave you. And the way he knows that he's going to be, he's going to be taken is through a brutal execution. What he's promising there is a spirit that will come, the spirit that will come and work in the midst of all of that chaos that is about to beset the disciples. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. And the implication is that there will always be much to trouble their hearts. Friends, there will always be much to trouble our hearts. The promise of Jesus is that through the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that we are talking about today, we will know the peace that He has left us. His peace that He gives us. Jesus cuts through all of the stuff that's about to fall apart and collapse around them. And He says, go, I give you my peace through the Spirit. And that is the same for us today. We who are dwelt by the Spirit have built in advantages for us in the midst of the chaos around us. In a world that feeds on chaos, a news media that, that breeds it for profit, politicians that seek it and stoke it for votes and for power, and an enemy that would seek nothing more than for the outside chaos to produce inward chaos, we are told by Jesus to keep to let the peace keep our hearts from trouble and guard our hearts from anxiety and rule over us. I think that's an interesting phrase, rule. That the peace should rule over us. The peace can rule is something that I think many would consider to be an oxymoron. After all, in order to achieve rule, that requires some measure of violence. That requires some measure of force. Peace is incapable of that. So how can it rule? But this is the oxymoron. This is the the kind of paradox of the way things work with God. The peace of God is an all-powerful peace. Friends, we do not have to let our hearts be troubled today. Today. I'll we'll show you just a couple more things here. In Romans chapter 14, Paul is going to explain how this peace with God and the peace of God kind of join together and work themselves out in our lives. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, he says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So you want to know what the, the kingdom of God is? It's a popular question to ask. He says it's one of... It's one of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes peace and for mutual upbuilding. So do you see the turn Paul makes in those two verses? Paul's going to talk about the kingdom of God. He's going to talk about the peace of God within us as a part of that kingdom of God. And then he's going to say, and now here's how that peace works itself out. He's going to move from the peace given to us to now the peace expressed in us. We take the peace, we let it rule in us, and then we in turn pursue our fellow man and pursue him in peace as well. That is the turn that Paul makes in those verses. Our peace with God and from God should lead us to pursue peace with others. Elsewhere in Romans chapter 12, it says this, If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. So you see the flow of what Paul is calling us to here. He says, God is peace. We are indwelled with peace through the Spirit once we are at peace with God. Now, pursue peace with those that are around us. That's Paul's logic here. That's the argument he's building. You have peace. You've been given peace. Now pursue peace. We talked about this last week. This is how Paul works. He gives you the the ground in the nature of God and what God has done, and then He gives you the instruction to go out. And this is what He does here. He says, you are at peace with God, now go out, and so much as is is possible with you, live at peace with others. You don't lay down and run from truth, but you pursue peace within that truth. Far too many Christians have convinced themselves that they are a culture warrior and it is their job to pursue that battle in all fronts. God calls us to live at peace with others far more than he calls us to go to war with others. He never calls us to abandon truth for the sake of peace. He's not saying be conflict avoidance and just kind of have this false peace that, that exists on the surface. But he's saying as Christians, we should be marked by that peace in how we live with one another. Are you known by that pursuit of peace, both on a personal level or even on a larger scale? This isn't just about being nice to each other, but are you known as a person of peace? This is what we have been called to in these days. There are protests and unending debates. They are unceasing. But can you imagine what it might do for this country and for this world if Christians were seen as a people of peace more than they were as a people that were set on conflict. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 and 16, just a couple of verses before that says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So how do we as Christians go forward with this idea of peace in the midst of the chaos of our world? It begins with peace with God. And then what flows from that is a peace within us that is, it says, surpasses all understanding. Because we cannot understand who God is perfectly, but we can know peace through Him. And then it flows out to living at peace with others. It is extraordinarily difficult in these days for us as Christians to chart a path amidst this cultural moment. I do not have like a simple formula that says, you know, you should be on this side of our cultural debate or you should be on this side of our cultural debate. Whether we're talking about race or politics or a a thousand other different things I, i do not have a simple formula that says this is what you do i can't tell you this is the decision that you make but i can tell you this is the person you're called to be and then you let the spirit guide you from there Unfortunately, the goal of racial reconciliation and even our ability to lament with others has been so co-opted by political agendas that I do not believe that the vast majority of what we see has peace as its goal, but it has division as its goal. It has enmity with one another, set against one another as the ultimate goal. As Christians, that cannot be what we drive towards. That may be the narrative that is forced upon us by media, by politicians, by others with an agenda, but that cannot be our agenda. Our agenda must be peace with one another. But in that same passage where Paul calls us to to follow peace, he calls us to peace... Just one verse before that. Just the very words before that he says. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. In the immediate context after where he says live in harmony with everyone else. He says be humble. So we take those two realities. One. Weep with those who weep. Two. Two. Be humble. Don't seek your own agenda. And then right in the middle of that, you have the gospel of peace. It says, be in harmony with one another. Live at peace with one another, so much as it depends on you. There will always be people that are looking for a fight. You may not find peace with everyone. But so much as it depends on you, you're looking for that ground where you can stand together. There is no easy, clear-cut answer. But as Christians, we cannot simply dismiss the pain of those that are hurting. Nor can we be party to those that have the mentality to burn it all down. Discerning that pathway is not easy. It is not trite. It is not built for Facebook or Twitter. It is built for a people that are humbly reliant upon God and the peace of God to guide their decisions and what they do. It requires us to do what Paul asks of us, to be humble, to lay down our agenda, and to come alongside with others, to listen, to weep. So we must be careful to align our hearts toward reconciliation and peace. And not be co-opted by those that would seek to utilize this moment for a vote. Or for financial gain. Or for viewers on a news station. Or clicks on a website. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Is we walk out of this place, we walk into a life of chaos. Maybe, maybe that chaos is not all that external. Maybe it's not at a at your school. Maybe it's not in in some protest or riot, or maybe it's not what you're watching on TV. It might be in your own home. Husbands and wives, children and parents. This still applies to you too. But it begins with the internal reality that we have been made right with God through the blood of the cross peace produced by the spirit and I might say this every week that I, that I preach this but I, I, will, I will affirm the quote of, of Augustine God command what you will but give me the grace to do what you command That is our humble plea for all of this. Because you cannot produce this peace on your own. It is only found through the Spirit and in Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning it is our confession that we are inadequate for the task you have called us to. That though we will constantly try... though we will seek to have peace and to know peace, Father, it's a testimony of Scripture that apart from from You, we can do nothing. So Father, I pray that You would write that peace on our hearts. That we would know a truth that is greater than anything that this world would put forward as a political strategy or as a, a solution to the problems. But instead we would know that at the heart of this temporary moment, this breath of our life, that the most important thing today is that we would be at peace with you. Father, we celebrate, we rejoice, we find joy in the gift of the peace that you give us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.